Hey everyone, welcome back to Every Version Ever. My name is Jonathan North, and today's episode is the first half of my discussion with Eli Sanza on the silent versions of The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz has been adapted so many times since it was written, and in this first episode we're talking about the 1910 short film, which is the earliest surviving adaptation of the story. But we're also going to talk a bit about some of the other early adaptations, because some of those versions would go on to influence later films, and maybe even later books by Baum himself. Then the next time we'll be talking about the 1925 film, which is the first full-length adaptation of the story. This all was going to be one episode, but we ended up talking so long that I figured it'd make a good two-parter. Anyway, that's all for now. Let's get on with my discussion of the early years of Oz adaptations, particularly the 1910 version with Eli Sanza. Okay. Well, before we start talking about the two silent films, I wanted to talk a bit about some of the Wizard of Oz media that happened before this, because it's kind of semi-important. There was a play in 1902, which I think is only a couple years after the book was released. So, like, as soon as this book came out, people were already starting to adapt it into things. And... This play was actually by L. Frank Baum himself. So he was like heavily involved in a lot of the early productions. And parts of the play were sort of mixed into parts of the early films. And different things maybe came from the play that influenced things in the future. So there was a few notable changes. They eliminated the Wicked Witch of the West, which even though the 1910 one is supposed to be sort of based on this play, there's a witch in it. So that, that part was not followed from the play, but Toto was replaced by a cow named Imogene. And that cow shows up in the 1910 version. And the scene in the poppy field where in the book, they're taken from the poppy field by field mice like the queen of the field mice tells all of the other field mice to drag them out like they build her little sled and they drag them out of the field but since they couldn't do that for the play they had glenda come in and wake them up with snow and that ended up being something that they kept for the 1939 version yes yes the people who made the 1939 version like were thinking about the the musical from 1902 when they were making it so it was fresh in their minds Mm mm-hmm There's another thing that I wish I could find my copy of The Wizard of Oz just to see if this is true or not. But I read that the play is where her last name originated from. Because the thing that I read said that she was not named Dorothy Gale in the original book. She was just Dorothy. And the the name Gale came from this play and then was incorporated into the future sequels. And I don't remember that, but it's been a long time since I've read the book. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, learning that Dorothy didn't have a name in the book. I remember learning that. Uh, I don't recall when she was named Dorothy Gale, but that might have originated in the play. Hmm. It might It might have been, because I, I don't remember for sure, and I don't have a copy of the book right on hand. It's probably My copy's probably in a box somewhere. I don't know where it yeah. is right now, so I can't check. <laughs> But it would be interesting yeah. to know if, if it really did come from this play. But the play was being made by Baum himself, so it's still canon, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. And then the next thing was from 1908. 
and it was called the Fairy Log and Radio Plays. And this, I, I can't find anything. Well, I mean, I've got descriptions of it, and it sounds like it was some sort of strange multimedia stage experience rather than a film. Like, film was incorporated, but it sounds like there were live actors and slides and film, and Baum himself would appear during the show like he was giving a lecture, and he would interact with all the characters on stage and on screen. So it sounds like some sort of thing where he's, I don't know, ahead of his time in in coming up with some sort of multimedia presentation stage production thing. Because that seems kind of unheard of for 1908. That's interesting. You're saying it's, uh, it was performed on a stage, but mm-hmm. it was radio. It was radio, you say. That's what it's called. I don't really know why it has the title that it has. The thing that I read said the fairy log was supposed to be a play on the word travel log. And I don't know what the radio plays was supposed to be referring to. Because it's not radio. It was just this weird conglomeration of all sorts of media turned into a right. big stage show. I see. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I don't know the, the definition of radio play. So that's what can be. Okay. Well, whatever this show was, this is, I think, what people most count as the earliest filmed version because film was part of this but because it was so much more than that there's not really any surviving record of it and the film that they used in the show itself has deteriorated to the point where it's not watchable and yeah right right this whole show never did not last long at all apparently it had massive budget problems and it cost more to produce than even the sold out shows could bring in because of all the stuff that they had to do to put this thing together. Ah, okay. So you said that came out in 1908. Yeah. Okay, I heard about the the one we just talked about, the 1902 musical that lasted, I think that lasted like two years. Mm. And that play, which was, which I know was famous at the time, it was like, it was really popular because it, well, it lasted all the way from 1904. But uh, I, I lived in the books and the movies. I am unaware of any other adaptations that took place before the, at least before the 1910 short. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as I know, those are the two big things, the play and then this fairy log and radio plays thing that was kind of a movie, but kind of a stage show. It was just the weirdest conglomeration of things that I don't think had ever been done before. You know, I might not have heard of this because it might, because the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like it's an easy thing to to talk about. Uh Yeah, I feel like I would need to see, to see this thing happening to fully understand what it was, because just reading it is kind of confusing. I'm I'm not 100% sure of everything. I just know that L. Frank Baum was there and he interacted with live actors, and there was film and slides and just a whole bunch of stuff. Right. I need to look, at, look into that. And 
because it wasn't like actual the whole thing wasn't filmed there's no way for anyone to see what it actually looked like the older things are the harder it is to come by them because you know stuff deteriorates that's how it goes mm-hmm. and this fairy log and radio plays thing was filmed by or the filmed parts of it were by the Selig Polyscope Company, and then they went on to do the 1910 version. And yeah. the 1910 version was without Bomb's direct input. And I think that was partly because of the failure of the fairy log and radio plays. So they were, uh. I think they were basically trying to recoup their losses on that with the 1910 version. I heard that the 1910 version was heavily inspired by the 1902 musical. That's what I've read. It sounds like some things came from that, but it's kind of a conglomeration again. Like they took inspiration from that and the book and maybe some of his other books too, because I noticed some things that I recognized from other books, but with their own spin on it. Right. Well, Toto, the dog, is in this, and he wasn't in the play. Yeah. So I guess we could just get into the 1910 one. It is strange. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It starts with Dorothy and apparently this cow, Imogene. They're being chased by a mule, and the mule is a person in a suit, like, kicking farmhands. I didn't really know what exactly was going on and why they chose to open the film this way. It was so random. And then another weird thing is the Scarecrow is in Kansas. He is not from Oz. Yes. He's in Kansas. Yeah. As soon as I saw the Scarecrow was in Kansas and not in Oz, I realized, okay, they're going to be playing very loose with the book. Yes. I'm guessing. Very loose. (laughs) So Dorothy helps the Scarecrow down, and then apparently they see the tornado, and the Scarecrow grabs an umbrella, because apparently that's supposed to be funny. (laughs) And (laughs) he's he's shoving everybody into the haystack, and then I guess he grabs Toto, because it looks like he's holding a little dog that I don't remember seeing before, but I suppose he could have been there, and the film is just so grainy and poorly preserved that maybe I just didn't see the dog. Yeah. (laughs) But I did not notice Toto before the Scarecrow picked him up to get into the haystack. Yeah, it was hard for me to follow, too. Yeah, there's a lot in this that's really hard to follow. (laughs) So the tornado hits, and the haystack starts spinning around like a bumper car. (laughs) And then it lands in Oz. And there's palm trees in Oz for some reason. That was so (laughs) random. And then you have this title card that says, Mamba the Witch Asserts Her Power Over the Wizard of Oz. And that is completely different. (laughs) You're right. I don't know if they're trying to combine a couple of books because the witch in The Wizard of Oz is just the Wicked Witch of the West. But in another book, there is a witch named Mambi. And this is Mamba. Uh So I don't know if they just took the name from the other book, from the other witch, and then changed a letter. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm not an authority on Oz war, so don't ask me. (laughs) I'm not really either, but I probably know more than the average person. (laughs) Right. I've only read the one book. Yeah, I've read a few of the books. 
then I don't really know what was going on after that. She's apparently asserting her power, but there's like this dancing girl army, and I don't know what they were there for. I was very confused. I, I feel like this is the kind of thing that would be easier to understand if, like, if if I like read, if I like maybe if I saw the play and I read the books. Like, this mm-hmm. seems like it was. Otherwise, it seems like I'm a little too lost. Yeah, I felt very lost through a lot of this. And then you have this proclamation, apparently, given by the Wizard of Oz, who is also the King of Oz, apparently, which that's not from the book. He says, I will give my crown to anyone that releases me from the power of Mamba the Witch so I can go back to Omaha. And then part of this I could not read very well because of the film grain and it was also in this fancy yeah. script. So I don't know if I'm reading this exactly right, but I'm. this is what I think it says. On the level, as a wizard, I am a humbug and tired of this king business. And then there's the letters N and B, and I don't know what that's supposed to mean. And then he yeah. says, wishing to keep this secret, I have issued this proclamation. Like, what? <laughs> he wants to keep it secret, so he issues a proclamation about it? <laughs> uh yeah and then he signed it the wizard of oz king yeah at this point the witch leaps into the picture and there's a bunch of mayhem and i can't tell what's happening the one thing i will say about this one they did a lot of good wire work like with the witch jumping in there and i think the scarecrow was on wires at one point like during the tornado like falling out of the haystack or something and then in the next scene too glenda coming in on wires so they i did it like that they they did it really well yeah before it's time it was pretty you know that some modern viewer of the 1910 short said that it reminded them of a school play you know it was when i was watching that short it was like the camera was fixed the whole time there was no editing involved really and there was no like close-up shots it was all like it was like a camera a fixed camera on a stage and that's what it reminded me of it's like someone was filming a play yeah which which had a charming like kind of quality to it but it it, it was kind of hard to like get any emotional investment into it when you could do it mm-hmm. so clearly like amateurish kind of play Thinking of it as like a school play is a good way of looking at it. It does make it seem a little more charming that way. Yeah, yeah. Then you've got this other title card that says, Glenda the Good changes Toto into a real protector. So then the little dog Toto is gone, replaced by this guy in a giant ugly suit. (laughs) 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 I don't really know why they did that. They just needed another giant animal suit yeah apparently yeah that was like as soon as they said protector i was like oh this is this is another vague way of describing the action that i can't follow yeah i don't know the mule and the cow are still here too they all came to oz yeah that's right and there's also a lion coming in at this point yes and Toto and the lion are like fighting or something. I don't know what's exactly going on here. 
Yeah, no, that's they're not. They don't make it clear, but they. But I remember seeing that lion. It was a very, uh, very nice looking lion costume. That's not exactly not exactly like Bert Lahr, but it was it was decent. Yeah, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really could have. And at this point, they read the proclamation from the wizard, and then they go. They find the Tin Woodman and save him. And then they have a weird dance party. I don't know why they all started dancing. And then you had all of these people in animal costumes on their hind legs. And because of the way these costumes are set up, they, (laughs) their front legs are lengthened to make the illusion of them walking on four legs more real, I guess. (laughs) Right. And these costumes, when they're on their hind legs walking, the forelegs are just kind of dangling disturbingly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was just, it was not a good choice. They shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a little easier to forgive when you know it was was made, but still, that doesn't make it any less jarring. Yeah. So then they come to Mamba the Witch, and they're at her house, and there's something outside her house. It's another piece of good wire work, but it looks like this. It looks like a frog, except it has wings. And I don't know what it was supposed to be, but I actually really liked the costume, and I thought it was a good creature. I don't know what it was, but I liked it. No, me neither. And I also liked it. It was good. And then at this point, there's a bunch of random chaos. And I don't really know what all was going on. There was some sort of fighting happening. And then there's another title card. <laughs> Dorothy learns that water is fatal to a witch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, here's a plot point I recognize. <laughs> so instead of Dorothy not realizing that water is harmful to a witch and accidentally killing her, they have her committing premeditated murder. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's, that was the thing. That was the thing. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> I don't remember how it happened in the book, but I don't think she didn't intentionally murdered anybody. No, it was an accident. It was a total accident yeah. in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Douses the witch and the witch fades away. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I was talking about. They're very they're being very loose. <laughs> and then this army that I think was the witch's army, the Tin Man is like threatening them with his axe and they run away and everybody's free now. And yeah. they they go back and the, there's another title card, Dorothy reaches Emerald City to claim the crown. And again, I can't really tell what's happening here. There's a bunch of soldiers marching and they get inside and there's another title card, the wizard free, the scarecrow made king. Yeah. So it's, it sounded like Dorothy was going to be crowned king or queen or whatever they would have said, but no, it's the Scarecrow now. And I guess the Scarecrow being king is in the book, but they didn't make it very clear through the title cards. They made it sound like Dorothy was going to be the ruler. Yeah, I remember seeing the part where the Scarecrow put on the crown, and then that made it kind of clear that like I feel like as soon as Dorothy leaves to go back to Kansas, then the mm-hmm. Scarecrow was like 
put in charge instead because he was didn't want to apparently he didn't want to be the ruler so instead okay scarecrow you be the ruler instead yeah like that's what i gather that's what i gather yeah it does seem like maybe he was gonna give it to her and she refused and i thought well all of this was very confusing i thought maybe she refused because she wanted to go home but they never said anything about that and then there's all this stuff with the wizard. It looks like he keeps disappearing because, and I thought at first it was like a bad cut, like it was, they weren't being very professional with how they were editing and maybe they just cut it weird. But then it yeah. happened again, so I thought maybe it was on purpose because at first it was like the to- Toto and the lion are attacking him and he disappears. And then he's off to the side. And that's where he brings the crown out and then eventually the scarecrow is made king. And then he starts dancing and he disappears again and he comes in from the side, and, like, he's already said he doesn't have any powers, so what's up with the disappearing? Like, I'm pretty sure they were doing that on purpose. I was very confused by what they were going for there. Yeah. Uh, I, there were so many things that were hard for me to follow. I don't, I don't even really have an opinion <laughs> on this story. So I, was, I, was just, <laughs> I was just like, well, I, I tried. I tried to understand this. Yeah. And then... It says that the wizard is preparing for flight. And again, I can't really tell what's happening. I think that dancing girl army from the beginning is back. But then one of them puts up a sign that says, Union rules, no work after 12. And Dorothy comes in and starts laughing about it. I was like, what? This is so random. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I couldn't even review this. I can't. I can't review this film. <laughs> I, 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 I really—it's just it's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And then it says the wizard bids goodbye to Oz, and then he's in the hot air balloon, and it's sort of bouncing weirdly. And I—I I don't really know why. I don't think that's accurate. I'm pretty sure hot air balloons yeah. don't bounce repeatedly before taking pretty off. Pretty sure. And then he starts randomly pulling animals out of a bag. Yeah. There's like, he has a rabbit. He's got a bunch of birds. I don't know. Like, what is going on here? I, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like that maybe in the script it was clear, but it wasn't for the audience, maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, me either. Then I don't know exactly. This, this confused me too, because it seems like he just forgets Dorothy. Like, in the book, Dorothy is supposed to go with him, and then the balloon, the balloon ends up taking off without her. But here... Yeah, I remember that. They don't even talk like he's going to take her, so maybe he wasn't even planning on it, but he just leaves her there. And yeah. there's no mention of her ever going back. And then, <laughs> very randomly, it's like they have these random slaves leading actual real live camels and riders dressed like Arabian princes coming through and then the scarecrow and tin man start dancing and then that's the end and I'm, yeah, I'm the just end. like what is happening yeah, this to be fair, this is the kind of thing that usually happens a lot when I watch old silent film shorts. It's like sometimes it's like impossible for me to even tell what's happening. So this isn't just an Oz thing. This is like a all film thing. Okay. 
I was just like it just kept getting more and more confusing and then that end coming out of nowhere what what is with the slaves and the camels and the Arabian princes yeah <laughs> that have to do with literally anything yeah you know it would have been a little like if they had followed the book more accurately then maybe we would have understood it better but they kept adding new stuff and that wasn't helpful yeah i don't know but that's the end of the 1910s <laughs> so confusing yeah apparently this movie was later followed by like three or four sequels but they're all lost yeah i heard that yeah it's like they don't exist anymore yeah which i don't know whether or not to be disappointed about that <laughs> uh well you know i would i'd give them a chance i would just i maybe my hope would be high but i would watch them i would watch them out of curiosity but i after watching this i would not expect to understand what was going on at all no no Thanks to Eli for joining me for this episode of Every Version Ever. If you want more from him, I'll have his links in the description below. Now, before we end this episode, I wanted to talk a bit about something we kind of glossed over in our main discussion, which is the three lost sequels to this film. I'll admit I hadn't done much research into them, which is why I hadn't felt the need to cover them at length, but I kind of fell down a Wikipedia rabbit hole today, as I frequently do, and I found some info that I thought would be interesting to include. So, the first of the sequels was called Dorothy and the Scarecrow in Oz. I don't think it was based on one of the books. Not that this movie was, but it was described in a magazine at the time. Like, I'll just read this whole thing. So, Dorothy and the Scarecrow are now in the Emerald City. They have become friends with the wizard, and together with the woodman, the cowardly lion, and several new creations, equally delightful, they journey through Oz. And then there's Dash Dash... The Earthquake, dash, dash, and into the Glass City. So I don't know what that was supposed to mean. Maybe there's an earthquake in the movie. The Scarecrow is elated to think that he's going to get his brains at last and be <laughs> and be like the other men are. The Tin Woodman is bent on getting a heart and the Cowardly Lion pleads with the Great Oz for courage. So apparently they're trying to finish the story they should have finished in the main movie. All of these are granted by His Highness. Dorothy picks the princess, dash, dash, the dangerous mangaboos, dash, dash, into the black pit and out again. We then see Jim the cab horse and myriads of pleasant surprises that hold and fascinate. So, they... <laughs> I don't know what they were going for with a lot of that. They weren't writing the way we would write today. I think that they thought people would understand what they were talking about. That seemed like they were combining sentences that didn't go together. I don't think that the dangerous mangaboos were the princess that Dorothy picked. <laughs> but whatever. I have no idea what that means. That's just what it said. So the next sequel is called The Land of Oz. And again, I'm not sure that this is based on one of the books. There is a book called The Marvelous Land of Oz, but it does not sound like this because I've read that one. 
The Emerald City in all its splendor, with all the familiar characters so dear to the hearts of children. Dorothy, the Scarecrow, the Woodman, the Cowardly Lion, and the Wizard, continuing on their triumphal entry into the Mystic City, adding new characters, new situations, and scintillating comedy. Dorothy, who has so won her way into the good graces of lovers of fairy folk, find new encounters in the Rebellion Army of General Ginger, J-I-N-G-E-R, that's a character from the books, showing myriads of lathe soldiers in glittering apparel, forming one surprise after the other, until the whole resolves itself into a spectacle worthy of the best artist in picturedom. Those who have followed the two preceding pictures of this great subject cannot but appreciate the Land of Oz, the crowning effort of the Oz series. One other thing that I thought is interesting to mention, they talk like the wizard, I mean, it says the wizard is here, even though he left in the hot air balloon at the end of the last one. So apparently he didn't get back to Omaha. I don't know what happened there, but he was back in these. So the last movie is called John Doe and the Cherub. And this may not actually be a sequel, but it's based on another Oz book. And it's listed as perhaps a sequel. I don't know. I haven't actually read this book. I've read about it on Wikipedia. <laughs> Basically the same thing, right? And apparently this wasn't originally an Oz book. But characters from the book later on show up in Oz books. I don't know. I haven't read read it, so I can't say for sure. That's just what I read about it. Anyway, John Doe and the Cherub. John Doe, spelled D-O-U-G-H, is about a living gingerbread man. And apparently, from what I've read, the, the way he comes to life is maybe racially questionable because there's like a magic potion from this Arab man. And then once he becomes alive, the Arab man is now chasing him, trying to eat him. <laughs> and that's the main plot of the book, apparently. Like I said, haven't read it, but I, it's one of those things that you just have to go, hmm, I guess this is the time in which it was written. It would not be written this way now. But anyways, beyond a few racially questionable elements in the story... The thing that I found most interesting was the character of Chick the Cherub. The full title is John Doe and the Cherub. So it's about a living gingerbread man and a cherub. This character was never given a gender, and it seems like Baum went out of his way to avoid giving the character a gender. And apparently even used it as its pronouns. <laughs> Which, that would not happen today. But I just, I thought that was interesting because... He's done other things with gender in some of his books. It's bit like I think we talk about it in the next podcast. I think it's in The Marvelous Land of Oz, the one I've read. The One of the main characters who becomes one of the main characters in the rest of the series is Queen Ozma of Oz. In the book, it's revealed that she was actually a boy. Like, she started life as a girl, was transformed into a boy, and then was later revealed to be the true Queen of Oz and was transformed back into a queen. So I just found it interesting that Baum was thinking like this, and that would not have been characteristic of people of that time. I just thought that was interesting. And I don't know that I would have found it so noteworthy as to come back and make a whole little mini-segment on it, except for the fact that the article I was reading went on to talk about how this character was received 
Apparently, Baum's publishers were really against the idea that Chick's gender went unspecified, but he refused to rewrite it, and they relented. But they ran a contest asking readers of the book to tell them what they thought that Chick was in 25 words or less. And the winner of the contest was a little boy who said that Chick was probably a girl because if they were a boy, they would have eaten the gingerbread man at once, whether he agreed with them or not. <laughs> I don't know. I just found that so funny. I had to share it. It didn't really have anything to do with the movie adaptation that is now lost. Just the book it was based on. But I figured most people wouldn't know any of that, so I threw it in there. Anyway, I think that's all for now. I, like I said at the beginning, I'll be back with Eli next time. We're going to be talking about the 1925 adaptation. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Every Version Ever.